Thanks to NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Get the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Shen. It's Tuesday, October 2nd, and I'm joined by senior Motley Fool contributor, Asit Sharma, who's connecting with the Fool HQ studio via Skype. Hey, Asit, great to have you back. Hey, Vince. Hello, listeners. Great to be back, as always. Uh, are you excited for your trip? I am. I am so psyched. So really briefly, um, folks, I'm headed to Germany uh, this weekend on Saturday. I will miss a really important and fun event, which is our annual full conference, uh, where all the riders descend upon Alexandria and we, we meet up with our friends and trade notes. But I'm excited. I'm taking my oldest son and settling him into engineering school um, in university there in Germany, sort of near Frankfurt. And I'm looking forward to, once we find him a place, which will be the hardest thing, we've got all our leads, to kicking back for a few days with him before I come back and still have this one little (laughs) glimmer of hope that I will head to Barcelona, maybe on my way out after hearing about uh, Spain from Vince last week. Yeah. How how long is your son going to be studying in Germany? So this is interesting. He took a gap year last year and deferred his admission into a local engineering school here in uh, North Carolina, NC State University. And interestingly enough, engineering school in Germany takes place over six semesters. So you finish it in three years. So as long as he doesn't do like his dad and take like the five-year plan, (laughs) he'll actually finish in three years and won't have lost a step um, versus his friends who are in school now. Okay, perfect. All right, well, uh, I got to say, I'm glad that we were able to uh, squeeze in one last discussion before you head out for that trip. Uh, Sounds like a great time. Um, Fools, recall that last week we offered updates on three companies. Uh, They were Hudson, GoPro, and Procter & Gamble. And we just wanted to see how each business has progressed since we last covered them on Industry Focus. But one company that we didn't really have a chance to revisit was Sonos, which I think deserves some attention after the last several weeks of volatility and new updates. Asin and I first looked at the company's IPO filing in early July. Uh, I listened to that episode again. And I, I'd say we were f- cautiously optimistic on this business. Would you say that's a pretty fair take on our previous discussion? I want to flip it a little bit and say that we were optimistically cautious, given the <laughs> stock movement. <laughs> yeah. I always look at the, the um, bright side of things. So I want to put a little spin on that. You're right, Vince. I think we were uh, cautiously optimistic on this stock. Yeah, so some of the encouraging trends that we looked at were uh, user adoption, some of the repeat purchases, and the relatively modest but consistent growth. Uh, The major red flag, however, uh, was something we called uh, the frenemy relationship that Sonos has with some of the bigger tech companies like Amazon, Apple, and Alphabet, uh, with smart speakers especially becoming a very big part of uh, Sonos's future roadmap. So today, uh, I want to bring listeners up to speed on the state of Sonos and to consider whether some of the uh, recent developments that have come up for the company really changed the big picture thesis uh, for the stock. So since our initial take, Sonos priced their deal at $15 per share, so a valuation of $1.4 billion, which is below its target range of $17 to $19 per share. So what that means is when uh, when a company prices its IPO under the range like that, it means they failed to drum up sufficient demand from investors at that des- at their desired valuation. So Sonos priced at 15 bucks. Um, they actually closed their first day of trading in 1991, so they were up 33%. And for 
the company's first month of the market, the stock, uh, the stock largely stayed in that high teens range, at least until it released its first bout of quarterly earnings as a public company. And since then, Sonos is down about 30%. Uh, they've fallen below that $15 starting point. I'll start um, with a brief discussion just of the of that earnings report. What was your take, Asset? The biggest thing that leaped out at me, Vince, was the company's top line. So, Sonos generated $208 million odd in revenue in their fiscal third quarter, and the volume of products that they sold jumped 11.4%. So, I start to do the math, and I'm looking for a revenue increase, but revenue actually decreased by almost 7%. And that's because in the third uh, quarter of last year, the comparable quarter, the company launched its Playbase product, which has a manufacturer-suggested retail price of $699, $700 product. And this year, the company sold more of its wireless speakers, uh, including this Sonos One product, which we talked about on uh, the, the pre-IPO show. And that speaker carries a MSRP of $199. So even though number of shipments grew, because that price point dropped off so drastically, the company actually had lower revenue than the previous year. And we're going to get more into this in this discussion, but I just want to um, foreshadow a little bit of this management perspective on that is, hey, uh, we have product introductions according to really what consumers are responding to, not any kind of ramp where we're analyzing the average selling price of our products and trying to keep that consistent. That's something I want to peel the onion back on a little bit. But that, that's what jumped out at me, Vince, is this drop-off in revenue. Now, I should say that that still was within the projected range that management um, had put out, and the company's still on track to meet its projections for somewhere between 11 and 12% total revenue growth for the year with one fiscal quarter left in the year. Yeah. This was for me uh, kind of a picture perfect example of a mixed bag report in that if you're a Sonos Bear, uh, that year over year decline in revenue uh, that was reported, it's tough. Um, even though, uh, as you mentioned, Sonos came in at the top end of the guidance they provided in August. No one really wants to see a recent IPO report negative growth, especially in their first quarter out of the gate. So even if the decline for that makes sense, with the Playbase having the higher price point, the and then the Sonos One having a lower price point, I think all that makes sense in terms of how they have to uh, fill kind of the inventory channels with some of the sales when with a new product release. I get that, but just. If you, as an investor, somebody seeing that as a headline kind of uh, report for Sonos earnings, it's, it can be a little bit discouraging, um, and I think that reinforces some of the worries um, that people might have about competitors undercutting the company, which we'll get to momentarily. Um, but also in the report on the bottom line, uh, the company's loss widened to forty-five cents per share from twenty-six cents last year. Uh, there's a weaker margin profile as well for some of these new smart speakers that Sonus is pushing. Another thing that you know I think a lot of bears are looking at. But if you're on the more bullish side, um, you probably point to the unit volume growth. So it's eleven percent, like you mentioned, uh, to about 887,000 units. So that means more of the company's products are entering um, these households, creating loyal new customers, and then hopefully increasing the stickiness of the Sonos ecosystem for existing users. You have to keep in mind that 30% of product registrations in 2017 were for existing customers. And that speaks to um, some of the points we made in the last discussion for this company about how 
that initial purchase uh, of one speaker usually leads to subsequent purchases of additional um, speakers within it to essentially build out the Sonos ecosystem. And another positive point, though, if you're uh, more on the bullish side of this stock, the company also made its entry into Japan, which uh, presents a lot of long-term growth potential um, as the second-largest music market. Very tech. Uh, savvy consumers at that. And then tagging along with that in terms of growth opportunities, um, Sonos has begun to push into new kind of target markets. So they had a partnership with Sonens to build out an in-ceiling or in-wall or outdoor audio solution. So the company's looking beyond you know the 7 million households where Sonos already has a presence to other types of spaces as well, essentially. And something that I would say falls more into the gray areas. Ultimately, uh, the some of the guidance or the outlook that they issued for their full fiscal 2018. So, on the one hand, uh, they've spoken before, or management has spoken before, about their long-term targets uh, for annual revenue being about 10% growth, and then for adjusted EBITDA about 20% growth. So, based on what they offered for uh, their 2018 outlook. Uh, and they had pretty good insight on this because when they reported their fiscal third quarter, there's only about three weeks left in their fiscal fourth quarter. Um, they expect about, uh, as you mentioned, about 11 to 12 percent top line growth, which meets that goal. But on the EBITDA side, growth of just eight percent. So again, you kind of come away with that depending on where your focus and what your take on the company is. And they caveat the growth targets by saying they won't hit them every year. But this is. Um, Kind of speaks to uh, some of the nuance in the way the company looks at their business. Uh, you know, going back to the point that you made about how management doesn't care so much about their ASPs having sell- average selling prices for their products, they're thinking more about what is the what are their customers uh, what do their customers desire right now in terms of their product lineup. They'll push things out that way. And management spoke about how the price range for their products. It ranges, I think, from $150 to $700, depending on what you're looking at. And so, the uh, I guess blip that we've seen with this quarter, uh, with the lower selling prices and the reduction in revenue as a result, you know, we're gonna have to see if if in the next uh, year or the year after that, with the new product releases, that manages to even out, or if they're forced into these lower margin profile products, which we'll uh, kind of get into as we talk about the. New competitive landscape essentially for smart speakers and what kind of long term shift that might result in for the market and Sonos investors. Support for this podcast and the following message come from NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy to use cloud platform. Because every company hits speed bumps as they grow. So whether you're updating manual processes in your business, replacing inefficient legacy systems, or learning to better manage your cash flow, you need software that can adapt like your business does as it scales, not some one-size-fits-all offering. And right now, NetSuite is offering amazing insights on how to overcome any of the obstacles that have been holding you back, and they're doing it for free. You can learn how to attract new customers, grow your profits, manage your expenses, and more, all to unleash the full potential of your business with the help of the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth. Thousands of the best-known brands and fastest-growing companies already use NetSuite to manage their businesses, and the power of the world's most popular cloud management system is available to you, too, and it's more affordable than you think. Save time and money by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly right from your desk or phone by going to netsuite.com. And don't forget, you can check out the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com. Okay, so... Something that certainly won't help Sonos during the holiday season, uh, which is a very important quarter 
for the company is the new batch of devices that Amazon announced last month. So Dylan Lewis and Evan New talked about that product uh, that product lineup recently uh, on a tech episode of Industry Focus, and the ones that were most threatening to Sonos directly, uh, their th- items like the Echo Plus, the Echo Sub, uh, the Echo Link Amp, and there's several others. And in one way or another, they compete with Sonos products like the Sonos Sub, the Sonos Amp, where there's like a direct uh, matchup, or they essentially enable uh, users to add Alexa capabilities to some of their existing audio equipment. And of course, uh, the directly competing products are much, much cheaper from Amazon than Sonos. So the Amp and Sub, respectively, from Amazon, $130 and $300. Uh, the Complementary products or for Sonos six hundred and seven hundred dollars, and this is something we talked about. Amazon's standard playbook: if you're partnered with them, as Sonos is with its Alexa integration, they'll still happily move into your territory and undercut you to bring people into their very large ecosystem. And Asa, you mentioned this possibility during our previous discussion with your kind of dribble, pass, and shoot analogy. Can you walk through that again quickly, given some of these latest developments and basically what? What play did Amazon end up running with here? So, uh, triple pass and shoot, uh, basketball metaphor, three options that uh, Amazon had. Uh, One was to just continue to partner uh, with Sonos and help it expand uh, in the marketplace. Uh, The next option was to introduce complementary products of its own, not necessarily in direct competition. Shoot, uh, which actually evolved into a rifle metaphor, is to introduce products that are direct competitors of Sonos's, which we've seen Amazon do uh, time and time again. And why this is problematic, Sonos has a loyal following, and they have a business model which uh, basically entices people to add on to products they already have rather than replace them. So in your home, you're building an ecosystem of Sonos products rather than replacing them as they introduce uh, new items. You're buying those and placing them in different rooms, etc. Why this is problematic is because Sonos has what it calls a unique model even of building margin. And let me walk through that really briefly so that we can understand why beyond the obvious it's bad news that Amazon has entered this market with competing products that are extremely similar. Uh, so the company again, going back to the bear case, actually had pretty decent gross margin um, this past quarter of 45.8%, almost 46%. So that only dropped uh, um, 2.3 percentage points below the prior year quarter. Remember I mentioned that the company's top line compressed by almost 7%, yet gross margin was pretty stable considering that. Sonos launches products with a lower margin and then builds those margins over time. It has what it's what it calls a sustaining engineering team, and they source components from new manufacturers. They figure out ways that the company can be more efficient within its supply chain, within its um, outsourced manufacturing processes, and this helps support uh, product introduction, and it also fattens that bottom line. So when you have a player like Amazon come into the market, put Sonos into its crosshairs and then shoot again. Switching from basketball to 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 a rifle metaphor, what that crimps is Sonos's ability to engineer those products better over time. It may find the efficiencies, but it also may find that its cachet as a high-end, um, more premium product, which attracts audiophiles, is dissipating as 
Amazon mimics the architecture of its various components. And so if you see, again, top-line compression a year from now, you might not see gross margin hold up so well. Sonos will be forced, in other words, to price where Amazon is pricing in the marketplace. If you remove Amazon from the picture, this quarter made a lot of sense. The company had the Play 1 and Play 3 products, um, sort of legacy products, and it lowered for the first time in its history the MSRP on those to make room for the Sonos 1, which again had a price point of around 200 bucks. When Sonos doesn't have to worry about competition, it can mix and match its products lower without regard to margin uh, on older products, and then of course build margin going forward. Entering this market, though, I'm concerned about operating cash flow uh, profitability going forward. Not that the company won't be profitable, but when you're in the position of just having your IPO, as Vince mentioned, investors want to see everything growing. Positive revenue, positive income, positive operating cash flow. This makes it harder. Here is Amazon, as listeners well know, which has its retail business, which is profitable. It has Amazon Web Services, which brings in a lot of lot more profit. It has an advertising business. So it always can afford to undercut competitors. And it's not so much, uh, to me, the, the top-line threat, because I think Sonos can differentiate. I'm worried about the margin threat. What about you, Vince? Uh, I'll say that with um, essentially this new competition that Amazon presents uh, coming right into Sonos, their main uh, hunting ground, essentially. Um, You have to think if you're a Sonos shareholder or whether you're an intrigued investor, is this the new normal that we have to, uh, that the company will have to adapt to, that we have to think about going forward when it comes to the growth and profitability dynamics that that you mentioned, Asin. And I don't think any company ultimately wants to find itself directly in Amazon's crosshairs. Uh, Sonos has to expand into smart speakers, though, to survive. And that market overall, in terms of the bright side, is growing to an extent that I do think there is room for multiple companies to to win and to succeed. There's a recent report um, from Nielsen, U.S. smart speaker adoption was up 24% in the second uh, was up to 24% in the second quarter of 2018. And uh, another piece of that is four in 10 smart speaker users uh, reported owning more than one device. And, and then when it comes to usage, 90% reported that they stream music at least once per week, uh, one of the highest uh, use cases essentially for these devices. And I think that still benefits Sonos, which still holds this reputational advantage of offering excellent sound quality uh, and very and also very easy integration of multiple speakers into an in-home system, which kind of bo- both of those uh, elements reflect some of the results from this Nielsen survey. And I remember the IPO prospectus that it said that new customers, they increased their music listening 80% after purchasing a Sonos product with, I believe, something like 70 hours of listening time per month. So if you are, uh, if you're listening to that much content through a Sonos speaker, I can see kind of the argument, um, at least for more the kind of this bullish Sonos investors saying, you're listening that often to your device. You want the sound quality to be there. Uh, you want the integration so that it becomes this uh, kind of audio ecosystem within your home. And I do think that there is a there's enough of a space there and a niche there that Sonos can still succeed regardless of the new competition that Amazon 
pre, uh, presents. And you know, obviously, Amazon has these huge size and ecosystem advantages. Um, but with any kind of uh, technological device or hobby or whatever it comes down to, there's always this wide range of quality and pricing, especially in the audio world, in the kind of the music listening world. And I don't think Sonos is inherently uh, a loser here, so long as they're able to sustain their brand image as kind of the wireless speaker for true audiophiles. Um, so, how their long term growth, though, is affected by some of these competing devices. And I'm sure there's going to be, uh, you know, other. Entrance to to make this situation even more complicated. Um, how how that affects the company's long term outlook it remains to be seen. Um, I'll just say, closing out our discussion, then or ask you, Asset, has this fundamentally changed then your view of Sonos, and and what do you think uh, investors need to kind of look to going forward? First, I I don't think this has fundamentally changed my uh, thesis on Sonos, but it has significantly uh, changed it in that I feel that if you're invested in Sonos, it's time to pay attention to these longer-term advantages the company has. I would add to what Vince just walked us through. Uh, Sonos also wants to be uh, seen by other manufacturers as a go-to product, even for a doorbell chime, because it can make that so much better. And it has opened up its platform, uh, its APIs, uh, these are programming interfaces for developers uh, so that developers will adopt its product over others. And I think that's a very robust system that it has. Uh, also, this foray into Japan, it's the world's second largest market for audio. Uh, the comp- companies, surprisingly to me, said it will take a few quarters for us to see much of an impact from that. However, as we mentioned, that is a great market for Sonos to be in. The Japanese uh to a person, I would say, are audiophiles, and they will love Sonos's products. So we should see something material uh, from that, maybe in three to four quarters. So I think that for me, the, the thesis still remains, how can it exploit the advantages it has? I've turned a bit more cautious. I'm still optimistic. I think um, despite the entrance of Amazon and some new products that Apple has introduced as well, um, I believe that what Sonos has to do, though, going forward is to maybe divorce itself a little bit from this notion that it has a really unique business model. So if you read the shareholder letter that they just put out with earnings or uh, read the transcript of their conference call, management is, is convinced that it, the company has this really uh, unique model innate to its own DNA. It's different from others because of things like what I mentioned, this long-term growth in gross margins, the fact that it doesn't really pay attention to the sequencing of its product launches, um, the fact that consumers add on to its products rather than switching them out. But I want to say about that, that if you look at any successful publicly traded company, business models are like fingerprints or they're like human faces. They're all unique in some way or another. The trick that a great management team discovers and sets them beyond a good management team is that you have to take what's unique about yourself, but also learn from what the market, what investors and what analysts are telling you. This company reminds me a bit of Etsy, the first management team. Etsy also believed it had this really unique business model. And uh, you see some similarities in the way Sonos uh, has come out in its most recent report. A shareholder letter and reminded investors, hey, we don't manage for quarterly results. We manage for year stretches, year-long stretches. 
Etsy had the same philosophy, and, and I think that's a good philosophy. However, the market is wanting to hear from Sonos that it will have less of a variability in its top line and maybe less of a variability commensurately on the bottom line. This last quarter took the company's um, nine-month loss and sort of doubled it just in one quarter because they had this drop-off in revenue. You have to look at your products as a portfolio, and you have to plan so that even if you're jumping between price points, $200 uh, to $700, you've got either medium price point products which are growing, or you don't have as much of a deceleration between product launches. This is the thing that I think management may be missing, that everyone who's invested in the company wants to see consistent growth, as Vince said right at the outset of this podcast. Listen to investors, take heed of that, and work these product um, innovations in such a, a manner that we see a, a very smooth ascent of revenue. And then I think the company will be off to the races. But yes, it's unique. Is it unique to the extent that it's going to change the way people do business and look at how to run a what's basically a technology innovator? No. What are your thoughts, Vince? Um, uh, we have a couple more minutes here, and I have to say I really liked this um, kind of realistic view that you have to take on here, uh, what you described, in terms of the company uh, talking about how you how unique their business is, and they also alluded to that in terms of the challenges that they said that they had, or that they indicated that they had during their IPO roadshow, in terms of, again, you know, they had a $17 to $19 range for uh, the pricing uh, at the IPO, came in under the range, and they seemed to describe the situation where, you know, we couldn't get these institutional investors to understand that, you know, we're not just any um, kind of device hardware business. There's these elements like the repeat purchases and the brand reputation that we have to set us apart. But again, you have to adapt even what might be a unique system or business like this to the realistic expectations of uh, the market, of customers, and when you have uh, essentially changes to your competitive environment when you know essentially an 800-pound gorilla decides to come in and directly compete with some of your higher margin, more expensive devices even. Um, and I think uh, another uh, lesson to take away from this, and we beat on this drum a lot on this show, is just reinforcing uh, the view that with when it comes to IPOs, uh, these new co- newer companies on the public markets, give them at least six months uh, in the public markets to get their footing, track their progress before necessarily making a decision and di- diving in just because things like this can pop up. Like I don't think anybody could have foreseen uh, the exact lineup of Amazon products and how uh, that definitely spells some challenges for Sonos, but uh, it reinforces the idea that uh, this six months, that year that you wait after the company makes its debut, is time for the company to see how management uh, addresses challenges like this, how they adapt to uh, new variables like this. And that's something that we always kind of uh, hit on for investors in terms of advice when it comes to IPOs. Uh, Asit, thanks for joining us as We'll definitely be uh, updating on Sonos again, seeing how they, they, where they land, especially next year in terms of their international expansion and some of the other new kind of competitive dynamics. Thanks a lot. This was fun. 
Thanks, fools, for listening. People on the program may own companies discussed in the show. The Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Hold on. Thank you.